Hi there, Catsuit. Hi there, Nookie. Wait, I wasn't expecting you right now. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to stop by and tell everyone about our event coming up Valentine's weekend. You mean the three-day education and social event focusing in on dating and relationships for kinky folks called the Kinky Dating Something Something and Love Blah 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 event? We've got great speakers lined up, including me. Yeah, also Lexi Silver, Zach Budd, Unruly Nerd Girl, and I'll even be presenting a four-hour workshop. Don't worry, it's in two parts about how to defuckify your dating and create a profile and a life that weeds out what you don't want and attracts what you do. Registration is open now. And the first 500 people get in free, so don't hesitate. Get registered at datingkinky.com slash dating dash love dash event. It's a great opportunity to learn from the people you love about the people you hope to love. I know it's on my Valentine's Day calendar. Chocolates are optional. The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. With questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host. Hi there, Catsuit. Hi there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a show about how people connect. I'm John, aka Hi There Catsuit, and welcome to the program. And today we're excited to welcome an author who's one of our favorites. Lindsay Goldworth is the author of Lessons from Dominatrices on How to Get Everything You Want, and is a journalist and the host of Spent, a money-themed storytelling podcast praised as unique by the AV Club and funny and human by the Globe and Mail. She is the former editorial director of the personal finance app Stash and hosted the Teach Me How to Money podcast. She has worked at the New York Daily News, abcnews.com, cbsnews.com, Court TV, Glamour, and Red Book. Her writing has appeared in Quartz, Adweek, Refinery29, Fast Company Slate, and many other publications. Her book, Bow Down, is about to come out in paperback. And she has so many great things to share with us. So now, let's find out what Lindsay Goldworth wants. It's the first five. And Lindsay, as always, we start with the first five. Five questions about firsts. And the first question I have for you is, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl. That's all I ever wanted to do. I was always a big reader. I come from a family of readers. Uh, I think when I was a kid, it was the only thing I felt like I was good at. I think I got one compliment from a teacher. And I think that was it for me. Uh, Yeah, I've always, I never in my life wanted to be anything else. So I would say I wanted to be a writer since the second grade. First time you ever were able to say, I want something and mean it. 
Oof. That is that is that is a really tough question. I think that I my husband and I, I'm just, I'm just letting the first thing come to my mind. My husband um, and I have a religious difference. And it was uh, it was complicated for my family. I'm Jewish. He's not Jewish. And I had to really stand strong and say, no, this is the person I want to be with. And it, it was a really scary thing to do. Um, some people say, oh, it's it's your family's problem. Let them deal with it. But I, I love my family very much. And, and causing them pain was very painful for me. But that was the time where I really knew that I had to say, he's what I want, and this is what I want. First time you ever held a flogger and your reaction to it. <laughs> so I talk about this in the book, actually. So the first time I ever held a flogger was when I was researching the book. Uh, I did not go into this book um, as, a, as a kinky person, just a very open-minded, happy person. Uh, it was interesting. The first time I held a flogger, I felt, I, I didn't feel intimidated in using it, I felt it was at a workshop and there was a submissive there who was ready to, he was surrounded by all these very beautiful women. He was probably the happiest person in the room. Um, and it was funny, I was standing there and they handed it to me and I had this, this, this feeling, it's like, I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing it. I don't really feel anything from this person. I feel him wanting it. There's other women who'd be happy to do it, but I don't have to do this if I don't feel like doing it. So I actually held it and it felt really cool in my hand, but I didn't want to flog the person. So I gave it to the next woman. <laughs> <laughs> First time you ever met a dominatrix and your reaction to that? Well, it turns out I have met many dominatrices in my life. I just didn't know that they had, that they were. Um, so I have a colleague who I will not, I don't want to say anything else um, to, but she's a professional. She's someone I admire deeply. Uh, and she is, uh, I'll say that she's, she's an attorney, uh, which is true. And when I told her about the book I was writing and it's before I'd done any interviews, she pulled me aside. She said, well, you know how I put myself through law school, right? And I said, no. And I said, no wonder you and I get along so well. And she said, oh, I have stories to tell you, blah, blah, blah. And it was so interesting that um, she's around my age. It was just very interesting to me because we, I mean, obviously we felt this, you know, she's very open-hearted, very open-minded, you know, a very caring person, you know, an activist at heart, you know. So uh, she was the first one I had met that I didn't know was. And then I did stand-up comedy briefly and there were some stand-up comics that um, that had worked um, worked as dominatrixes um, as, as part of their financial journey. So I, I knew I knew a few, I didn't know they were when they were, but then I found out they were, so. First time you stepped on stage as a stand-up comic and your feelings at the time. Well, the first time I ever did it was when I was in my early twenties. Um, I was in journalism school and I had to pick a beat so people picked labor, people picked religion, you know, religion, and I picked live comedy because I always secretly wanted to be a stand-up comedian. So the first time I got on stage was, um, was oh my God, I won't even say how long ago it was. It was the early 2000s. And uh, I, just, I just got on stage assuming I would, I would bomb, but I, um, 
I mean, I bombed, but I, but I, I got a laugh <laughs> and I was very confused by, by that. Cause I just assumed that the experience is you get up on stage and you bomb. So I didn't realize that, you know, when you're 20, 21 years old, um, all the men will laugh at whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I started doing stand up again, when I was older in my mid thirties, um, it was a, uh, the same thing happened. I was much older, you know, but I, I got one laugh and I was like, well, it could be, it could be worse. So, um, yeah, you just have to expect nothing. <laughs> We're disappointed. <laughs> Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. This is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. It's kinky done differently. Here with Lindsay Goldwert, the author of Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrices on How to Get Everything You Want, Getting Ready to Come Out in Soft Cover or Paperback, as the old folks might say. But I understand there's a slight difference to the cover and the title of the book now. They made the cover a little more a little more accessible. So I adored the old cover. It was red. It had, it had beautiful kind of, kind of a German seventies inspired font to it. it, had a ball gag on the cover. So this, this version, they made it, they softened it up a little bit. It's um, the title now is lessons from dominatrixes on how to be a boss in life, love and work. And um, I was very lucky. Glamour magazine um, made it one of their best books of the year. So I have that. On the cover. Yeah, that was a, that was a treat. Um, so yeah, so I think they want to make it, um, a little more accessible because it's not, um, if you're a, tr- a truly kinky person, I don't think it's going to be too much news to you on the kink front. But I think if you're somebody who is, um, who is interested in a new line of thinking and isn't scared of some sexy talk, um, then this book is for you. One of the cool things about this podcast is yes, we've talked to a lot of kinky people because we are presented by dating kinky. But when it comes down to it, people are just people and they talk in different ways. And some people know whether they've gone through classes or leadership training or anything like that, how to speak assertively. And a lot of that has to do this with the same kind of language that dominatrices use. When you talked to these dominatrices, what, were the, what was the first thing that just really struck you that said, this is a really good idea for teaching others how to be able to use that kind of language. I found the whole idea of negotiating scenes beforehand 
um, such a lesson for professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that you're, you're going into something, you're agreeing on something beforehand. And then once you agree on something within those parameters, you can have a really wonderful experience, a lot of freedom within boundaries, you know, because anything goes within these things. As you know, somebody who's taken jobs and found and, and haven't really paid much attention or was very loosey-goosey with the job description, you know, you go in and suddenly you're not doing the job you thought you were doing and you have nothing to refer back to. And then you always feel like you're on your back foot the entire time and you feel very powerless. Um, you never, you don't have a, a way to come back and you feel trod upon or you feel like your professional boundaries are being violated. You know, you really, you, you don't have that feeling of like, hey, we agree to this. Like, what have you agreed on before? Um, having a job description that you can really point at so that when you feel like you're being asked to do too much, you can point of it and say, listen, I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. Um, it seems like you want me to do this. Um, what do I, what can I take off? What can you take off my plate so I can do this, this, and this? And realizing that and how you can make that a power move. Power move doesn't mean being like, a, being, a, you know, it, it doesn't mean the negative things that women think it means. It just means that you're taking your job and your time seriously. Um, and it shows your, your boss that you're a person your, that your time is valuable. Um, so all the idea, all the ideas of, of taking the time before you do the thing to talk about the thing and agreeing on the thing um, had so many lessons for me um, in my personal life and in my professional life. I was going to ask you when you entered this, and I know you hate this word journey, when you entered this path, <laughs> knowing that you were going to be meeting some very powerful people. Did you come out a different person? A hundred percent. I'm a different person for having written this book. Being a, I would not say I was, I, I, I went in as an open-minded person who had a lot of questions about where her life was going. I had, I had sort of plotted along just sort of letting life kind of happen to me in many ways, you know, um, I had a, I worked in journalism for a long time and I, I took my unhappiness in my career I and mean, I always loved writing and I love my coworkers, but I had difficulty in a lot of these jobs. And I, I took all those failures personally. It didn't occur to me that maybe it wasn't a fit, um, because I had tried so hard to make it a fit. Uh, so I felt that way about, I don't know, I felt that way about my my eating. I felt like that way about how I dressed. I just kept sticking to these ideas that I had from my 20s about how things should be. And I never really gave a lot of thought to how much, and I, I understood the, you know, chronologically what it means to age, but I didn't understand what it really meant to change over time um, and to recognize that you changed and to be like, well, this is, I'm, I am really a different person. Because then you have to look back and be like, who was that person? Is that, you know, was she wrong? And the answer was no, she was just young. <laughs> so um, everything, um, one story, I, one of my favorite chapters is um, I interviewed uh, the Baroness, the latex designer who lives in, who works in the East Village. I sat down with her and talked to her about dressing for power. And after I spoke with her, I went home and I, I got rid of, I would say I got rid of two thirds of my clothes. Wow. Um, just everything she said about your closet being this 
this photo album of positive and negative memories and why we hold on to things and how when you throw something out, how you, you're throwing out, it hurts to throw things away because you're th either throwing out the memory of something positive or negative, or you feel bad because you maybe you spent too much money on it when you were sad or those jeans don't fit you anymore. And, um, and I got rid of a lot of stuff and I, I cried and cried and cried because I thought about the money I'd spent on it. I, I thought about how I felt when I bought it and I, I, the stuff that was too big, the stuff that was too small, I just got rid of it. And it was, I just, and I looked at my closet, which wasn't, and when it was way bare and I, I felt so much better, um, but it was scary and hard. You don't want to get rid of stuff that's comforting. Just as an aside, because I've seen your publicity picture and obviously I'm seeing you and you seem to me to be one of those just very, very nice, just uh, enjoying life kind of people. And I could only imagine you going in to interview uh, Baroness and going, I wonder what it would be like to wear one of those. <laughs> Did you have any thought of maybe I'd like to try on something? <laughs> To see well, how of course. It well, she said to me, so she said to me when we sat down and interviewed her, it never occurred to me, um, you know, again, I'm an open-minded person, whatever, like I'm, mm -hmm. I, I, but I wasn't a very adventurous dresser. I never, I, again, I only thought of like things that look good on me in my twenties or whatever. I just had never, my style hadn't really evolved. And she said to me that whenever, when people come to her shop, the thing that makes her the angriest is when people say, I'm too fat to wear latex. Because mm. um, she says, then, you know, she said, then get the fuck out. Because you, you're not respecting me as a designer. You're not respecting blah, blah, blah. She goes, anyone who looks good in latex if they have the confidence to carry it. And she's very, she's very imperial. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I'm too fat to wear latex. I didn't say that out loud, you know. But she said to me, come to DomCon, which I went, and I'm gonna and and watch how people's bodies change when they put on something that I design. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, so I did, you know. And so I showed up, you know, as a reporter, and she um, and she she grabbed me, and she handed me a latex skirt, like a latex pencil skirt, very sensible, and she gave me like a waist cincher, and she she strapped me, she strapped me in, and I was like, I can't walk out, I can't, I can't let anyone see me in this, and I said, huh. And I said, I, I, I get it. I felt I did. I get it, you know. And I wasn't the type. I it wasn't because I didn't feel exposed. I felt very stylish, you know. And you have to be like, oh, what is your style, and how do you want to dress in a powerful way? And for me, I don't. I, I exposing a lot of skin is not how I want to. That doesn't make me feel powerful, you know. Um, but dressing apparently like you know an executive with you know with, with a little latex accent, you know, it, it, it did something. It did something for me. So. Um, so absolutely, I had, I, you know, why, what's the point of interviewing a latex designer if she doesn't get to throw you in some latex? Why, why bother? <laughs> like, why, why have an adventure if you can't go through with it? In writing this book, you talk so much about how to get what you want. And the word want is such a huge word within this book. How do you get the courage to actually say what you want rather than what you'd like? That's so interesting. That's a really good question. I think you have to really sort through a lot of ugly stuff to figure out what you want. Um, and I think that that's the part that's really hard. We all have a feeling as to why we're unhappy about something. Something might not feel right or 
but I think that it's easier, like, like an example is you'd like to have more money at work. You'd like to have a promotion at work. But what you really want is not to have this job at all, you know, and it's easier to, to think about a preference easier to me what you'd like is a little more it's a little bit of a lighter lift to me um it's important to have to you know to have you know to have a life where most of the things you like come your way I mean that's certain that's lovely but when it comes to what you want when you that's a lot of that's that's a, a bigger decision and it's often if, if you say like what I really want is to like if you're say you're a lawyer you know you might want you know, work at a firm where there's less work. You might want a firm where, you know, you're doing better work, but deep down, you just don't want to be a lawyer anymore. But what does it mean to not want to be a lawyer anymore? It means you have to upend your entire life, your career. So I think when people talk about what they want, it's, it means that you're making, a, you're cutting through a lot of the barriers of bullshit. And I mean that, I mean, we all have them. I'm not saying they're bullshit, like it's not worthwhile, but those barriers of bullshit that you've built up within yourself that have allowed you to make excuses for living the way that you're living. And we all do that. Um, so I think that asking for what you want is really, really, is is really brave because you, someone might say no, you know, and then when you get the courage and that could be something you want to try in bed, that can be, you know, telling your spouse, I really can't be a lawyer anymore. And she's like, well, we have three kids to put through college, you know, like, what are you going to, you know, so it's putting yourself, asking, you know, and, and sometimes you can say, well, at least I said it. It's like, well, that is true. I mean, at least you could, but like the work you went, you, the, work, the work you did to get to the point of saying what you want can, will only give you benefits as to figuring out what you're, what you really, I don't know. You, you just don't want to lie to yourself if you don't have to. <laughs> that's, that's all I think. Was this book written for women or was it written for everyone? And maybe women might have said, a lot of more of this applies to me than I can't imagine a man going, well, yeah, if a dominatrix said we should do this, we should do this. How did you, what was your target audience when you did this? My target audience was women. Um, I sort of saw it as this uh, very comforting kind of Cosmo article, you know, like something <laughs> that like you could read. Like, and I mean, you know, I'm from in my day, you know, uh, you know, there was like hard copies of magazines in my day, you know, and they were a source of comfort. You read them in your bedroom, you know, in your bathtub, whatever. So um, I wanted it to feel like that, like feel like a friend. Um, I had a lot of men reach out to me and said that they read it. And I've been really flattered and really pleased because it, even though it's written, even though the, the audience is for women, there's a lot about there about in, in there about masculinity and a lot of in there about how, um, you know, men, I guess I'm talking about like straight men, I guess, you know, they feel this, um, this pressure to perform in this masculine way, to present in this masculine way and how damaging it is um, for, for their mental health and for their, for their sex life and for their relationships and these preconceived notions of what they're supposed to want um, in bed is just, is, so one of the things that, um, so I, I tell the story a lot, but it's a good story. Um, I was once, this is probably the only positive thing that's ever happened on Reddit, but I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I was on, I was on Reddit, uh, and I saw there was, it wasn't in a kink thread. It was just a regular thread of, of, of sex, whatever. And this guy said, you know, he's like, I just have to say, he started the thread being, I'm just not that into degrading my girlfriend in bed. You know, she really likes it. I'm just, I, I'm just not that into it. And all these men started chiming in 
and they were all defending their masculinity being like I'm a guy I'm a big guy but I don't really like it either you know like it really it's just not my thing blah 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 and then this other guy chimes in and says you know I'm a big guy I have tattoos I'm you know I'm a man 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 he goes but one night my girlfriend just like she had a few drinks and she just like threw me on the bed and she just like had her way with me and it was the hottest night of my entire life and I would give anything if she would do that again and all the guys were just like you're so lucky you're so lucky you know and I and what I got from it was not just that you know obviously you know men are, are don't want to always be the person who dominates in bed you know you know they but also that like everyone's looking for direction Everyone needs, someone has to be the top, you know, whether it's in the kink sense or um, someone has to say what they want. Because first of all, that poor guy is just waiting in vain for his girlfriend to get drunk again and like take him, you know, which is like <laughs> kind of sad, you know, and um, and he's going along with something that really doesn't turn him on, you know, that's upsetting too, you know, why I would hate to, we all want to be accommodating to our partners, we all want to like give and take and, you know, we all want to, we all want to make our partners happy, but if you feel too embarrassed or you're not sure, or it's not manly, you're going to be made fun of, like, that's all very deep stuff. And that's, I, you know, I think that's really, I, I wanted men to read that and be like, dude, you can be whatever you do, whatever you want, you know, and your, and your partner should be into it too, you know, or be open to it if not necessarily into it. The first section of this book is called the power of the word. And I always go back to the fact that in order to get connection, you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to speak the language of the other. And in this show so far, we have discovered that there are many people who think that the words, hey, sup, hi, is an entire statement that tells you everything that you need to tell somebody in order to get connection. And we know that's not the case. How important is it to be able to express yourself in a way? And if you have any good tips and tricks that you might have from either this book or just being in public life, for communicating an effective message for a first impression? For a first impression, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, well, I mean, the first thing that the Baron, I, I go back to the Baroness, she knows that I'm, I'm her biggest fan, is the first thing to realize is that you can't really control the way people perceive you. You know, you have to, you have to just feel, you have to go in with the confidence that you're gonna, that they're gonna pick up on what you're putting out there. So, um, if you're wearing something that doesn't feel like you or is too tight or too, or like you're, 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 you're trying to be somebody else. I mean, so I, I've never been very good at, I know some people in their professional lives have to have to code switch. They have to mirror, like there's all, there's a whole school of thought about how to get what you want from people communication wise. Um, I've, I've never, I haven't had to do that. I'm, I'm too in my own head to focus on that sort of thing. <laughs> but I would say the first thing you need to do is, is make sure that you feel comfortable going in there and that you feel confident in, in what you have to say. Um, it's hard to wring blood from a stone, you know, you, so if someone isn't a big, a big talker, you're not going to be able to get them to necessarily talk. But I think it's very important to edit all your doubts out of how you speak. And it's very hard to do that because in my heart, I'm a first time writer. 
is my first book. Um, I, I'm not a full-time writer. I have a day job, which is a, a great job, but I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not living, uh, you know, by, um, you know, on, on Lanai or anything, you know, mm-hmm. so I have all these doubts of what it means to be a real writer. And I've learned that you can be, you can show confidence by not pointing out your flaws. Hmm. And that um, being modest is actually insulting to the person who is giving you a compliment. That you should go in assuming that people think you're great already. And don't dissuade them from thinking that you're great. Uh, I've come, you know, I, people would give me a compliment and I would say like, oh, please, or, oh, you know, <laughs> I come very long. I'm like, oh, I look terrible, you know. <laughs> and I stopped, I had a practice I really had to practice and just saying, um, you know, I, I said, thank you. Oh, thank you. Like, I even do this like hand roll, like the queen, <laughs> you know, like, thank you. I had to practice. Thank you. thank you very much. I had to practice saying when someone gives me a compliment, I go, oh, thank you. And then stopping. That took practice because I realized that people are giving me a compliment. It's rude. If someone says, oh, I look hideous. Cause then you're saying that, that they're, they're we're wrong for, you know mm-hmm. you're wasting their time you're also wasting life and time and precious breath so just practice saying thank you and practice accepting compliments and also if they were lying and just being nice if, if you say thank you then they're going to think that they were wrong for, for not liking what you liked in the first place mm-hmm. so um just don't assume that people are seeing all the things that you hate about yourself and um that's my that's my biggest communication advice is people can't see the detritus in your head. They, they only see your exterior, which is, you know, good and bad. <laughs> bad because everyone should know your soul, but bad because, you know, it's, you wish it's a, it's practice. We talk about men and women and the way they treat each other. You are a happily married woman. As I discovered when you talked about on another podcast about somebody just really having affection for you and wanted to buy you a coffee (laughs) and you were good with a coffee, but showed the ring. Yes. Yes. I often wonder for someone who is married, do you have to put up with a lot of guys who just won't take that as a limitation? Sure. I mean, it's like, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's an interesting question. What is, oh, that, that's a really interesting question. I mean, there's, it all depends on what the, on the energy that you're sort of putting out there. If you're putting out the energy that you're interested in, you're flirty, then people will just take that invitation. You know, I think it's up to you to set the, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, it being, enjoying the, you know, the company of a, of a, of a handsome gentleman and, you know, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, if, if my, you know, my husband has a, you know, had a pretty coworker who we enjoyed talking to. I mean, life is short, enjoy the scenery, you know? Um, I think that, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I'm pretty upfront with the people I want. I, I don't, I don't talk to anybody. I don't feel like talking to mm-hmm. that's um, and that's, you know, and if I want to talk to you, you're going to know my story pretty quickly. Um, and you're going to know what you're going to get from our relationship pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I guess that's all I'll say about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, no one, yeah, if, if, if you, yeah, no, no one cares if you're married or not. You just, you have to be the one to put it out there. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> well, let me put it in this particular perspective. 
you talk to a wide variety of people, both professionally, and I'm guessing that your circle of friends is pretty cool too. Have they told you stories about dating that make you go, thank God I'm not out there anymore? I think that, yes, but mostly because I think that ghosting is a crime against humanity. I think it's very cowardly. And I just don't think I, I would be very full of rage um, at how, what kind of spineless person, um, no matter the gender, um, would go on to have, would waste their time having a conversation with you, meet up with you, and then not have the courage to say like, eh, you know, so I, that's the part of online dating that I, I find very, I would find very difficult um, because I'm very, I'm a very peaceful person, but I have, I, you know, I do have some rage in, in my heart. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I also feel like there's a lot of really kind people out there who are looking a lot of my, my friends are starting to, you know, they're getting out of their first marriages and, you know, they're trying to figure out what's next. And I think that there's, there are a lot of kind people out there who are not finding themselves, not maybe not finding each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think dating. I, I was ne- I wasn't really a great dater in my twenties, even though there weren't really you know there was like online. There was like web apps in my day, <laughs> but I never met anybody on an app either. I mm-hmm. met everybody through friends of friends. Um, I met my husband at a at a house party, very very randomly. So I don't know. I I, I believe that good people introduce you to good people. That's all I know about about dating. And if uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm also pretty happy pretty happy alone. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what life would be like if I was, if I was single, I would, I'd probably, I'd probably travel a lot. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Allison Ash, trauma-informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics, including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy, and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for it in their relationships, and to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your podcast. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works. Real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently.
going back to your research for the book, you said you went to DomCon, which yeah. I can imagine would only be one of two things, absolutely terrifying or Disneyland. <laughs> Meaning you go in and you're going, I'm surrounded by all these badasses and oh my God, what am I doing here? Or, ooh, I'm surrounded by all these badasses and this is pretty damn cool. It was both. Um, I was really honored and I was really, um, I, I was just incredibly honored that they let me in, that they let me um, attend the workshops, um, that they trusted me to um, to represent what I saw there. Um, you know, I, I made it very clear to everybody that I was only there to talk to talk to the Doms about their personal philosophies on on power and, and life and communication. And I was really, and I'm glad that they had faith in me that I I, I didn't record anything. I just, I just listened. And then I, afterward, I, I mean, I took some notes, but I, I would follow up with them afterwards for, for interviews. Um, it was one of the most, um, I mean, it was intimidating only in that I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have anything really to contribute. I was just there to listen. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was where I didn't want anyone to think that I was just some Snoopy, Snoopy reporter um, <laughs> who was there um, with some nefarious, uh, agenda but um i'm pretty good at disappearing into a room you know i'm pretty good at you know making making invisible who i think i am so it was really um exciting to 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 go into a corner and just listen and just listen to listen to the conversations that were happening um hear what the issues were that were affecting the community um issues regarding um everything from marketing to um their legal liability to um, to health insurance, to advocacy. It was just really, and just, it, it's just very freeing to just listen and not feel pressure to talk. So it was, so it was incredible. And all the, the, the workshops were, the, my jaw was on the ground at some of the workshops. I just, I just felt like I was, a lot of it was like Disneyland. I never, um, I, I never knew that I'm very naive. I never knew that there was like a pro, a pro wrestling fetish. I was very, and to see, you know, goddess Samantha, you know, dressed up as like Superwoman and to like putting someone in like a full Nelson and doing all this stuff while wearing loose side heels and, you know, while speaking so kindly and compassionately. And it's, <laughs> I, I, it was just, and hearing all the story, the story, I, there was a short, there was a short story in every sentence, you know? So it was really, um, I just wanted, I just didn't want to say anything. I just wanted to listen. So it was, uh, it was an amazing time. And then it, um, after the industry only part happened, it got a lot more crowded and there was more of an expo, people selling stuff. So I, um, I was less involved then. I just more wanted to talk to, to talk to the, to the doms and then go, go home and start writing. <laughs> One of the things that this program tries to do is tries to destigmatize fetish or kink in some way. A friend of mine who was one of my, he was my best man at my wedding way back when, uh, is a broadcaster and has been a broadcaster for even the Associated Press. And he asked me when I started this podcast, he said, are you going to have any normal people are on? And the fact is, every person I have on is normal to themselves. I don't know what your mindset was going in. I, at least from outward appearances, you don't look like a wild and crazy person, although you look really fun. That's good. But 
what was your thought going into this being a person that I'm guessing hadn't gone to play parties, hadn't done any sort of, of playing in that way. What was it like going into this totally different world and what were your thoughts coming out of it? Well, first of all, looks can be deceiving. I like, <laughs> uh, I would say, just because oh, I, Lindsay. Just, no, I'm saying just because I present a certain way, you know, mm. I, you know, I, I look, you know, it's, I, I don't like, you know, I'm a much more open-minded, uh, I didn't, let's just say I didn't see anything that was, I, I didn't, there, there's very few things I saw that were truly shocking. Mm. Um, I, I have, um, yeah, I, I mean, my mom might listen to this, so I don't want to scare her. But like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm no stranger to, 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 uh, to going out in New York and having a good time with my friends. Let's put it that way. And, um, and so there was nothing that I, and, and I, the one thing about, I, I think when it comes, when it comes to kink and how you dress and how you look, you know, you really never know. And that's, that's my thing is you never know what people are really like. Mm-hmm. And I've always gone into life thinking that you never know what people are like. So um, I just assume that everybody has secret kinks and secret fetishes and secret mm-hmm. desires. So I, um, like everyone I meet, I just assume that there's, mm-hmm. you know, a more shock when they're like, no, I'm just, I got nothing. I'm like, come on, you know? So um, I didn't, nothing I saw, there were some some things, some, you know, some things that surprised me. Like I, I did not think that would be something that I would imagine could be pleasurable, but apparently that person is is into it. So that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the yeah, I don't know. The only I saw some places with some really terrible lighting. That was one of the only things I, <laughs> I saw. I went to I, I went to one place, you know, um, with a friend. Um, you know, I made some some friends as this went along, you know, and it was at this converted like a converted Irish bar that had like fluorescent lighting, and I. That may have been the most traumatizing. Like, <laughs> the fluorescent lighting. That, I was like, nothing, like no, nothing should be, nothing erotic should be lit so poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, I've, I've always believed, and maybe because I've, I, you know, I've, I've always read, you know, books and the movies I've loved and the books that I've loved since I was in high school. I've always believed that people deep down have these, you know gloriously degenerate, you know, degenerate desires, you know, so I, I, it actually brought me, it, it filled me, it fills me with joy when I see people who are like, I knew it, like, I, like, like this, like when I was, so this is funny, when I left one of my, my le- so I quit my job to write this book, which is because I knew that I, oh. I was, I knew that I would, it was a short turnaround. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told, you know, I told everybody and some of the men I spoke to were like, ran away some of the men were like Get out of here. and a lot of the men I talked to were like oh I have a friend who actually does fetish photography it was and I worked mm-hmm. at in tech I didn't work at such you know and everyone was very into it they were all very sweet you know and one of my coworkers said do you know do you know what Findom Findom is and I said I do and he said you should totally get into that and I was like are we having this kind of, I was so excited because <laughs> I love when people reveal things to me that's my that's my fetish is tell me everything right mm-hmm. so he said, like, you should get into that. And I, and I was like, are you, is, is that your thing? And of course he got very, he's like, no, it's not my thing. I'm like, you can tell me, I'm not going to tell anybody. And it was like, everyone had something, all these people I work with every day, you know, working in tech, you know, doing their jobs, whatever, they all had something to contribute to the conversation that I had. They all thought it was really cool and they got it. So, and that's what brings me all this joy in the world is that, you know, is that deep down everybody has 
has has some kind of a kink or a fetish or something that turns them on that's a little bit different than what is they see in like R-rated romantic comedies, you know, and that that's that's what makes me feel good about being alive. When you wrote this book, you also do blogging and podcasts about money and financial matters. Was there any blowback in that, Lindsay, what in the hell are you doing here? Uh, you're a financial person. What are you doing here? Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, um, I thought that was going to happen. Um, I told this, when I, I remember I told my boss bosses at my job what I was doing, and they could not they, they were like, she's crazy. She's crazy. And then I'm sure they were scared that I was secretly a dominatrix. I'm sure they were afraid, which is fine with me. Cares. <laughs> um, but I was worried that people were going to be like, wouldn't take me because I'm not a certified financial planner. I don't, I can't, I, I write about finance from more of a lifestyle perspective, more about feelings and finance. I talk mm-hmm. to experts and I can talk about it in a very, I know, um, compassionate way. But I was really worried um, that people were going to say like, Oh, she wrote a sex book or this is weird and it was like and it was the opposite it just made me more and because I presented it I presented it with confidence I said I'm a money writer and I wrote this book about getting what you want and if and I I swallowed all the fears of what people would think and I just put what I wanted them to think forward mm-hmm. I'm a money writer and I quit my job to go on a crazy reporting adventure and I learned so much and this is what I learned and that's what people read and that's what they that's what they took from it and it's and everyone and not and everybody wants to read about sex and everybody wants to feel more powerful and everybody wants to be with hang out with somebody who's open to adventure and makes them laugh so i was very lucky i don't think i would have gotten this job um if i hadn't written this book in many ways um so i, I work at an app called zeta uh, which is an app for couples finance. So it's a uh, joint accounts and all that stuff. So it's aimed at helping couples communicate about their money with the aim of helping them, you know, help, you know, communicate about your money, communicate about your relationship, grow together, grow your finances, grow your love, you know, which is nice. That's kind of what I, you mm-hmm. know, that's, um, which is easier said than done. It's, it's, it's hard to communicate about both those things, those two big taboo subjects. But yeah, I thought I would, um, I thought my parents, I was worried my dad would disown me. I was worried that I'd never work again. But uh, I just told myself that you only have, life is so short. And this was just a risk worth taking because it was the most fun I ever had. You talked about communicating in this, with this app about money, about life, about love. Why is it so hard for people to truly communicate in this day and age where everybody is doing nothing but communicating in all these different ways? That's, that's, so, that's such a good question. I, I don't really have an answer. I remember um, I already, you know, communicate so differently than people who were, people who are younger than me because I use, and I'm not making fun because I use complete sentences in my texts. I, I still, <laughs> I still text like I email, right? Mm-hmm. Like I still want to be heard and understood in a way that isn't always I mean, I mean sometimes you just want to send a thumbs up emoji like I got it like I'll see you in a, I'll see you in a sec um I don't know I, I think that I, I think that there's not enough talking and too much communication um I'm I, you know one of my I don't know if this is a fetish but I have um whenever I'm, I'm, I watch a lot I'm a big movie person I'm a big film person I've written about film a little bit just as a hobby and uh, whenever I see a really good landline phone, 
like in a, in a, in a movie from like the 60s or 70s, I always go, ooh, like good, good landline, you know, because I, like, I like the way it feels, I like the clunk of hanging it up. I, I, I like a good landline phone. Did you have a princess phone growing up? I did not, but I, okay. I have a vintage, it doesn't work, but I have a vintage princess phone from the 60s in my apartment. Nice. I, really, I really like landline phones. I really do. I think that is my fetish object. But there is something about, about talking, the, the, the ease of, of, you can't just say, what's up on the phone and let, let it hang there. There has to be some sort of communication. And I think that I, I miss that. I miss the, the good old days where you could curl up, curl up with your receiver and, and have a long talk with a friend. And then the conversation is over when you hang up the phone. It doesn't have to keep going on and on. And there's no leaving somebody on red. Like you hang up the phone, the conversation's over. And you can't communicate again until you talk to them again. So I think that conversations just don't have an end point. They just kind of go on and on and on. I think that we're very distracted. Um, yeah, I mean, how, how much communication do you get every day? I'm on Slack. I'm on text. I just, as I was talking to you, my texts are blowing up. I don't even know what that was even about. I mean, we're all just, I mean, it's nice to hear from my friends. I'm very blessed. I have friends. But in the end, no one knows how anyone's doing, you know, um, until you pick up the phone and talk but no one has time to talk because everyone has their kids so everyone's just sort of gleaning information from various texts so it's uh I, I don't know I don't feel like this this time has been I've been in touch but I haven't really felt connected are we in danger of losing the ability to talk I think it depends who you hang out with I think you gotta you gotta choose a you gotta choose people who aren't afraid. You, you gotta, you gotta, you have to. It's like finding people who still. My, my friends still want to talk. My friends, my best friends from high school, we really try every two weeks to do Facetime together, mm-hmm. which is so we can all see each other's faces and we can all talk. It's still talking at least, and we can make each other laugh and be goofballs, and that feels different than just being on a group text for sure. Um, I think you just. I, I think what people. I have friends who are younger than me and I have friends who are older than me, but I do sometimes think that we tend to stay friends with people who are around the same age as us because they have the same communication style. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, somebody who loves old movies and loves old music, you're going to talk to people who have no interest in movies before 1960 and you just have to avoid them and just talk to people who like the things you like and just continue to hold up your own personal standard about how you want to be communicated <laughs> with. Because sometimes I'll just say, just call me. I, I'm, 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 I'm done. I said to somebody the other day, I said, I'm done texting, call me. Mm-hmm. And well, I can't talk. I'm like, well, then call me when you can. I, I couldn't text anymore. I was done. My thumbs were hurting. I had a headache. <laughs> Screen time is definitely something that people have much too much of. If there was a bow down to, where would you pick up the conversation? That's such a good question. There's a bow down to, you know, there's a lot of directions. There's a lot of directions that could go in, you know, there's, there's a lot of, it could go into a really fun culture direction, you know, talking about, you know, the history of, history of fetish and fashion there's a history of fetish in in uh in modern art there's 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 all these you know the history of fetish in the legal system you know with all the comstock laws and all the ways you know that you know finding fetish in the way that is permeating our law like i was just watching all the episode of buffy and buffy is full of full of teen fetish stuff you know so there's all the places that you might that you you've been you've been inundated with it but you just haven't known it you know that could you know and then there's also you know, you can't write a book like this and not become um, aware of 
how sex workers um, do not have financial independence. They do not have the same um, financial uh, rights as other people. They certainly do not have the same legal rights as other people. So, um, so much, uh, I believe one of the reasons why uh, the Doms wanted to talk to me was because I was a money writer and because I was very interested in hearing what they had to say about payments and how difficult it is for them to get paid for the work they do, how much um, when they sell something, they don't, they, they, they can't use Stripe or any of those things. They have to use um, different payment systems that charge way more interest. So there's a whole, there's a, there's a whole other universe of, from a legal and financial perspective about how um, not everyone is treated financially equal. There's, um, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff, you know, you want to know who these people are, like who, who, who is, uh, who, who deserves to get, uh, to get beat for pleasure? Oh, is it only, only for the rich? You know, like it's, mm -hmm. uh, I met a lot of people when I was writing this book. I met a woman, um, I was, at, I was in, um, where was I? I was in Nordstrom and I was in the, uh, the shoe department and they have very fancy shoe departments. And I was over, mm -hmm. I was looking at the, the Louboutin department. I was looking at, I was, I was, I was looking <laughs> at the shoes. And there's a very beautiful woman um, was working there. And, and I started chatting with her, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty chatty. Um, and she said to me, that's so crazy that you wrote this book because I'm having such a conundrum right now. Um, these customers come in and they want to pay me to model the shoes for them. <laughs> step, on, step on them or whatever. She said, well, what should I, what should I do? I could use the money. I have student loans. And, and, it, and in the end, you know, I couldn't give advice, you know, but I said, you know, but in the end, what the conversation was about was about like, and she was like, well, how much should I ask for? And I was, and it was, it was just very interesting how some people see a shoe. I see a shoe and I see a very expensive, uncomfortable shoe that I love to look at that I wish I could wear. And other people see a shoe and they see the human being that they could pay to wear it for them. So it's just, I don't know, there's, I, I could go on and on. There's a, there's a whole universe about power dressing. I guess I want to write about power dressing. That might, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to write about this again. Um, I'm not sure what the next book is. Um, last year was a it was, it was obviously it was an unpredictable year. And I, I went it was a year. It was a year. It was a year. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure what's, what's next right now. I'm, I'm lucky to have, you know, I'm happy with the job I have and keeping the ship afloat, but um, it was the most fun I ever had. Was there ever any curiosity about the submissive side of things and why people do what they do because they're submissive? I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, there, there's curiosity, but there, I didn't, I, I wasn't even that curious because I totally, I, I got it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't always, you know, I, I have both of those sides of myself, you know, like I, I, I totally understood it. So I, I'm trying to think. I get, I mean, it was, I was, it was, to me, it was interesting about, you know, the idea of the, I, I couldn't fathom feeling so powerful during the, like being a man and having so much power during the day that you, it would be a relief to get rid of it. I mean, to me, it's like, I should be so lucky to just have so much power, so much power. Um, so I found that pretty interesting. Um, and sometimes I wondered, you know, if, if, if these men, you know, can feel this reverence for women, you know, on their off time, how can they celebrate it on their on time? Like, you know, if they want to worship, um, worship, you know, a strong black woman and pay them money, but are they advocating for black women on their, on the clock, you know? So I, uh, I don't know, it was, uh, 
there was stuff like that I found very complicated. Um, I don't find, I find, I know, I understand the, 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 the joy at submission and I understand why that's so foxy. Um, in the book, I had uh, a Dom friend of mine. Um, she, um, I had a session with her where she was the Dom and she, we, we went because I wanted to go through the entire thing where it's like, well, let's negotiate a scene. Mm-hmm. Let's do it from start to finish. And we had, a, and, it had and I said it had more of a slumber party vibe and it did, you know, she tried to treat me like, you know, but it was really interesting. And I, and, and I, I understood why it was, I couldn't have understood it if I hadn't actually done it. Cause I could have mm-hmm. understood it in a, you know, in like a empathetic way, but even though that's that's not necessarily that's not true. No, I, I just I just it's just I, I think that there's eroticism in almost everything. And I think if you're with the right person and you have the right dynamic, then everything makes sense. Last question for you. Was there something that totally surprised you and just made you gobsmacked about finding out while doing this book? Where you went, wow. It's a really good question. I there were so many moments over writing this book where I just I realized how I had I had just stopped. I think I talked about this earlier, but I had just assumed that I was the same person that I always was. Um, you know, it's like, you know. I was the same, you know, I had the same DNA as the person I was when I was, you know, 20 or 25. Um, and that everything that didn't jive with that image, with, with that vision was something that I was doing wrong. And I think that taking full stock of how much I had changed as a person, you know, turning 40, um, and seeing all the mistakes and all the things that went on and just really taking stock of that was very shocking. And looking and, and it was like getting, it was like getting, being on top of a mountain and looking down and seeing all this stuff um, and realizing, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm at mid-ish life, you know, like having this moment of being like, I'm, this is, this is the middle, you know, ideally. And what is that, and, and what kind of life, and like, it's up to me to really figure out what the kind of life I want to lead, you know, because I, I hadn't realized how much I've been kind of like oozing around, you know, just going from job to job and wondering why I wasn't happy, wondering why things weren't going right, and just not really understanding, like just being very flinchy and being very defensive about why things weren't going right. Um, so having that moment of, of, of being like, it's really in, like, you know, you can put all that behind you and, and you can really start new um, if you're ready to. That was a real, that was, the, I, I, that was a, a lot, I, I cried a lot writing the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that was, that was the big one to be like, wow, this is, this is it. Like I'm not 20 anymore and that's okay. I always love to give our guests the opportunity to promote whatever you'd like to promote and talk about social media and such. So the floor is yours, Miss Lindsay. Yeah. So yeah, so um, the book is on sale um, paperback um, on January 19th. You could buy it at your nearest bookseller. I always recommend um, bookshop.org because you support independent bookstores, but you can buy on Amazon if that's your thing. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter um, at just uh, at, uh, at Lindsay Goldwork. Um, I have a website if you want to see some of the other stuff I've written. It's just lindsaygoldwork.com. And uh, 
Oh, and I'll tell you something really funny. A friend of mine has designed um, a bow down candle, <laughs> which um, is uh, it smells pretty. It smells like a it's like a sexy dungeon. So it is. It is not. A, it is pretty exciting. It's pretty beautiful. So that's going to be. Uh, so she's selling it on her site, but she designed it for me. So um, I'll also be selling that. Um, on the site. So if you want to smell, if you want to read and smell, smell along <laughs> while you read. Well, I will bring up my previous guest, Jane Boone, the author of Edge Play, who does a candle count for every one of her bubble baths and posts it on Twitter. So she has to get a bow down candle. And yeah. I could only imagine a book club between you, Jane Boone, and Cleo Stiller, who just wrote the book called Modern Manhood, who I had on the show a couple of weeks ago, the She's conversation you three would have would be so amazing. She and I have never met, um, but we've talked a lot on the phone. I know one, one day when this, pan this pandemic has really like put such a, it's been such a heartbreaker. Um, I'm somebody, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much of an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. I don't know the answer. To that. <laughs> I do get so much joy out of talking to other people, talking to other smart people, talking to people about their ideas. And it's been very, promoting this book um, in a vacuum has been very challenging because in the end, it's the conversations you have and hearing about other people's experiences, that's the most fun. So I'm hoping that once um, we're able to travel that Cleo and I and Jane and I, we can all get together and we can, we can really, you know, we could, we could, you know, have, have some fun. That would be a wonderful experience. And we would be more than happy to host it on the show if you'd ever like to do that down the line. Lindsay, this has been an absolute pleasure. And it is so good to finally get to meet you and talk with you. This book is phenomenal in every way. And thank you so much for taking the time for being with us on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you so, so much. And I wish you the loveliest, most peaceful evening. What a powerhouse of great thoughts and humor. And her book brings together the world around us as some of us see from the world around us. Now here's a tease for next week because teasing is what they do in burlesque. And we will talk with noted burlesque performer, Kitty Cat DeMille about life on stage and what those adventures taught her to have such a wonderful outlook on life. And make sure you check out the show's archives. We've had so many shows already in 2021 and with great guests since our premiere back in October of 2020. And next week, we will have a major announcement about a guest we are honored to have with us soon. Here's a hint. She only needs one name. If you have an idea for a future guest or just want to reach out to me, it's as easy as writing to john at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. I am the aforementioned John, known around the community as Hi There, Catsuit, thanking you for being with us. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.